7 to 8 p.m. Sport on with Tabiso Musia. Thanks, Craig, and good evening, everybody, and thank you for staying with us on uh, SAFM and for joining us on the show, SAFM Spot On. Uh, Tabiso Musia is me, Katlako Mudiba is the producer, and Sylvester Komane is our technical producer. Well, this evening on the show, we are going to talk about a book, review a book, amongst other things. There is this much-talked-about book, Doing the Rounds. It came out recently. It's called Winging It. It's a journalist's view and insight into traveling with the Springboks on away tours. It sounds like a really tough job to go around the world following a rugby team and sports journalist Liam Delcam has done a wonderful job in giving us an insider's view of what goes on on tour. I thoroughly enjoyed reading the book. I gotta say it was an easy read full of loves, great stories and one thing that stood out for me is that rugby journalists drink a whole lot of beer. Wow. Liam also details some interesting occasions with the various coaches that he's toured with and the various Springbok teams that he's toured with. And it really makes for some fantastic reading. So he'll be in studio tonight to talk to us about this book called Winging It. Also on the show this evening, we'll discuss the latest happenings at Cricket South Africa. You might remember that last Friday we spoke to the former president, Mr. Norman Arance, and uh, who, uh, who it's now been revealed is one of the people behind a letter that was sent with nine recommendations on ways to restructure Cricket South Africa. And one of those was to install Jacques Fall as a acting CEO. And that has happened. The other was to try and improve relations with the South African Cricketers Associations uh, Association that Saka will have taken Cricket SA to court. Uh, the other is apparently to have Gary Kerstin uh, advise Ino Kungwe on the upcoming tour of uh, England. Uh, they should be here anytime from now. And um, so we believe that Dr. Ali Baka was part of that. Uh, Graham Smith was part of that. Graham Smith was part of that. And there are other members that have not been revealed. So tonight, then, we'll speak to a, a, a former CEO of Cricket SA, Mr. Harun Logard, just to get his thoughts on what's been happening and what's transpired over the past few days. And he's agreed to uh, join our conversation this evening on SAFM. And well done to Kaiser Chiefs. All of you Kaiser Chiefs supporters have been tweeting the whole weekend. Who can stop this runaway train is what a lot of people are asking now. Kaiser Chiefs coming from behind to thrash Bloemfontein Celtic by five goals to three uh, this past weekend. And their lead at the top is back to 10. Can they lose it from here? Surely not. But this is football. Stranger things have happened. Uh, so we just thought we should acknowledge that uh, Kaiser Chiefs have won 11 out of 13 games this season. And when Kaiser Chiefs win, trust me, the country is happy. The majority of the country is happy. So it's not such a bad thing uh, for Kaiser Chiefs to win. It's a good thing because people are happy uh, when Kaiser Chiefs is uh, winning. They're leading Supersport United by 10 points um, at the moment. And Supersport, by the way, have played a game more than Kaiser Chiefs. But we're going to talk cricket and we're going to talk rugby on the show. And if you want to weigh in on any of our conversations, please feel free to call us on 0891-104-207. That's our studio number. We do take voice notes on WhatsApp on 061-4104-107. And our SMS line is 41391. So let's talk about the big story of the past few weeks. It's not going away and uh, we have to discuss it. And that's the happenings at Cricket SA and former CEO Mr. Harun Logat joins us on the line. Mr. Logat, good evening, sir. Thank you very much for finding time to speak to us tonight on SAFM. 
Uh, good evening, Tabiso. Mr. Logat, firstly, I mean, are you as uh, as saddened or as disappointed as everybody else by the events, by the recent happenings at Cricket SA? Oh yes, uh, I am. I am absolutely shocked at what is unfolding before us. Uh, what was essentially a world class organisation, we had a team that was rated as amongst the best in the world, and uh, it's very, very sad to see where we find ourselves today. And in your own opinion, from wherever you're sitting and watching the action from, how did things get this bad, Mr. Logat? Well, um, I guess you've got to put it in context in that um, I had left uh, through a mutual separation agreement uh, with Cricket South Africa. Uh, The current board, virtually all of them, uh, barring a few that had left since then, uh, were there at the time. Uh, people like Norman Arendser, Buzi Piccoli uh, had left the board. So those that are sitting there now were in place at the time when I was there. And to be honest, um, and as I said, I left through a mutual arrangement. You wouldn't be surprised if I said to you that I'm not surprised at where we find ourselves. Uh, what does surprise me uh, is the fact that they're still clinging on. Uh, Mr. Nanzani should uh, really do the honorable thing put his hands up, um, admit to the failings of himself and the board. Um, I think it's a bit rich to put it all on Tabang Morowe. Um, they've installed him. Uh, they've been very much aware and privy to everything that's been going on. And today to have uh, put him on precautionary suspension um, is, is, is quite amazing. Um, I'm sure there's enough reputational damage uh, to seek for a summary dismissal. Uh, but more than Mr. Morowe, I think the board should uh, should put their hands up and, and walk away. Uh, let some people that can come in, uh, clean out everything that's uh, been left in such a poor state uh, so that we can get up and move forward from the next day. I was about to ask, on that note, are you surprised then that the president has managed to keep his job after everything that's happened? I don't think it's over, not by a long way. Um, people that I uh, bump into in whether it's shopping malls or uh, in any public places are so irate that I wouldn't be surprised that they were to rake up a protest at one of the games. In fact, um, I would challenge some of these board members to appear in public and let's see what uh, the public would do to them. Uh, I don't think their, their stint of hanging on is by any stretch of the imagination uh, a given. Um, I think they will still be either uh, they will do the honourable thing or they will be forced out. You said earlier that you're not wholly surprised at how, as, at, at how things turned out. Why is that? Well, I doubt that uh, the real intent um, of of some of the board members, I think uh, Mr. Nanzani, to be, uh, to be honest, was very, very good at the start of his term. Uh, some switch got either turned off or on. And, and he lost his way. Um, and, and I think uh, what I see now is, is, as I said, no surprise, but a combination of what I expected. Uh, in fact, amongst uh, the circle of friends that I work with, um, I had predicted that we would see some, uh, some things come to light. Uh, the extent of what we're seeing now certainly shocks me. Um, and the pace at which uh, we've fallen also shocks me. I didn't expect us. Uh, to be this bad, 
but um, maybe, uh, as I said, I should not be surprised because I, I doubted the capability of uh, some of the people around the table. What do you say, Mr. Logger, to those who say that this is political and there's more to removing Tabang than Mr. I and that people want cricket to go back to the old hands and I use that in inverted commas? No, I don't quite believe that. I think there's capable enough uh, uh, black administrators that could quite easily step in uh, and solve the problem. It's not a case of um, uh, wanting this to go back uh, to the old days. Um, I mean, if you think about it, uh, our founding fathers, uh, the late Chris McAdooge, the likes of Percy Son, um, all of them have proven along the way that we have got capable black administrators. And right now, today, um, I'm sure you can list, and you've probably spoken to a number of them, that could quite easily remedy the situation that we've had, that we currently face. And um, it's not a case of going back into old hands. Um, what it is, in fact, um, is a case of um, everybody has suddenly teamed up. Um, and I've heard of the proposal from uh, several um, administrators teaming up uh, to try and get a solution. So, no, I think it's just a case of an absolute crisis that we find ourselves in. And and let's not make any mistake as well. Mm. This crisis is far, far worse than what the Majola issue uh, back in 2010 or 11 was. Uh, this is a multiple times uh, more worse. Uh, we've got issues on commercial partner fronts. We've got issues with the media. Cricket has got issues with the players, with the players' union. Mm. You name it, and there's an issue. The team is not performing well. So this is not about going back into old hands. If we were, if we were moving along as well as we were for the past few years, nobody would have questioned anything. Mm. And 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 how much does the financial situation of Cricket SA pain you? Uh, because um, when we spoke to Mr. Norman Aronsell last week, he said that Cricket used to pride itself in being in a healthy financial state, even during your tenure, even during the tenure of of, of, of Mr. Gerald Majola. Um, yes, that's that's a particular point that um, is is something worth requiring a formal inquiry, because. At the time when, when I was involved, and certainly at the time of my departure, we had funds, free funds, in excess of one billion rands. And it's, it's a strange scenario to find ourselves over the last couple of months talking about you need to curtail or you need to restructure the domestic system. Effectively, you need to cut away players and, and competitions because we don't have the money to do it. I can't recall since the day of unity, where we went backwards in that fashion, where we had to go back to, to cutting competitions or development programs, it's never been so. So I think it's worth finding out why we cannot generate any new revenue. Um, it seems like uh, only the contracts that were left there back in 2017 is all that we've had. Nothing new has come to the fore. Now, is that a case of our South African economics being so poor that we can't raise a single rand uh, from the corporate sector? I don't believe so. Uh, is it the case of we don't have the expertise um, within the office to, to keep sponsors happy, uh, to keep them wanting to put more money into the sport? Uh, something has to be drastically wrong uh, for us to suddenly find ourselves short of cash. It's never been so 
uh, for as long as I can remember uh, in the history of our sport. While the, form, while the suspended CEO's credentials have also been questioned and now um, he was a president of the Gauteng Cricket Board, is it fair then to say that he was out of his depth here as the CEO of Cricket SA? Well, I think um, uh, the results are, are speaking for themselves. I think where we find ourselves um, certainly indicate that he was out of his depth um, uh, but again, as I mentioned earlier at the start of this interview, it's a, it's a bit rich for us all now to blame Mr. Marowe. Mm. And there were people that were responsible for recruiting him and for appointing him. Uh, they should have done their due diligence. They should have looked at his credentials. They should have looked at his experience. Um, they made a conscious decision uh, to put him in charge. And in fact, more than that, they went further to afford him a host of additional responsibilities and the authority uh, to run things on his own. Now, either uh, he was so good at um, uh, bewitching them that they fell into some sort of a scenario where they simply abdicated all of their responsibilities and allowed him to do as he pleased. Um, but the, the results, as I say, speak for itself. Um, clearly, uh, both between himself as well as the board, uh, they are out of their depth. So is it safe to say that uh, Tabang Moro is also being used as a, as a scapegoat here? I think that's what uh, this current board did on, on Friday. Um, mm. It was crystal clear uh, that they would have had to fall. And uh, what they've done was they took a route um, um, that might uh, buy them some time, as it has. Uh, but I don't think it's going to remain because people are smarter than that. And there's still a lot of, uh, I was reading some reports earlier today, uh, the South African Tears Association have repeated their call for the full board to go uh, because they hold the board accountable, and rightly so. And I think the public at large and um, many others would find that um, it's not just Morowe that should pay the price, um, it's all of the board that should uh, be asked to move on as well. For those who've just joined us, we are just um, catching up with the former CEO of Cricket SA and also uh, of the ICC, of course, Mr. Harun Logat, just to get his thoughts on what's happened at Cricket South Africa over the past few days. We're going to take a quick break and we'll continue our conversation after that. But you can send us your comments or views on, on, on WhatsApp on 061-4104-107. For the story behind the action, catch Tabiso Musia weekdays at 7 p.m. Still chatting to Mr. Harun Logat. Mr. Logat, there is now an acting CEO, uh, Jacques Fall, uh, no stranger to the position, of course. What would be the first thing that he needs to do right now in this current climate? I think he has to try and uh, bring some calm to the whole situation. I can well imagine what staff in that office must be feeling like, uh, what partners that relate with uh, CSA must be feeling like. Uh, the players themselves, so on multiple fronts, uh, of course, the media as well. So I think some sort of calmness and some sort of patience that he's got to ask from these uh, different stakeholders to give him a chance to to try and tackle uh, the multiple fires that he's got to deal with. Will he be able to restore the faith of the sponsors? We saw some hard-hitting statements coming out over the past few days from, from various sponsors associated with Cricket SA. I think not uh, on his own. Um, I, I prefer back to the point I make about the board itself. Um, I think you need some new faces there. 
but all on his own, uh, he will struggle. I think um, a, a number of sponsors must be feeling uneasy. Um, and if I recall correctly, one of the sponsors, one of the commercial partners has actually written to Ticket South Africa asking for, a, for, for this board to step down. So I'm not sure if the likes of Standard Bank uh, or other commercial partners would want to continue uh, just because you've got an acting chief executive in place. And mm. as good as Dr. Fall might be, um, it will be hard for him to do this on his own. You, you mentioned earlier that um, there is a group that made recommendations to revive cricket in South Africa. We've seen today that it includes the likes of of Dr. Ali Bacha, uh, Gary Kesten and Graham Smith from what we have read. I'm not sure if you've been able to see some of the recommendations and if so, what do you make of them? Because I, I, I believe that appointing Dr. Fall was one of them. Yes, I believe that um, they, they also asked for the board to step down. They've asked for uh, Graham Smith's appointment. Yes. They've made a, a number of recommendations. Um, clearly, we're in a, a, a serious crisis um, and there's some bold decisions that have to be made uh, to bring the public and the players uh, back into confidence. Um, I mean, from my own uh, networks from across the globe, um, there is despair and there is very serious concern uh, that we will become one of the mono nations uh, in the world. And people are asking for some drastic steps to be to be taken. And this group has put together some of their thoughts. Um, and I do believe that uh, a lot of it um, uh, is, 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 has the potential uh, to solve some of the immediate challenges that we, that we face. Uh, but having said that, um, personally, I believe uh, we've lost a generation of cricketers um, and we've set transformation severely back as a result of the crisis we're in. So even the recommendations that we make um, won't fix our problems in the short term. And, I mean, there are people that are suggesting that things could go as bad as, as, as they've gone for cricket in Zimbabwe. Is that a realistic observation? Well, I can tell you from my own interactions that, um, that uh, people at the ICC believe we're heading down that route. Um, and they said that to me um, in the presence of other South Africans um, during the World Cup. Um, they felt that uh, we were simply not uh, what we were like in the past. Um, perhaps they gathered from some of the leadership uh, that they were uh, interacting with that uh, we were not in good state. And um, certainly the performance of the World Cup and then followed on by what happened in India uh, does not inspire confidence to many of our our colleagues around the world. Let's go to the voice note as we wrap up our conversation with the former ICC and Cricket SAC, or Mr. Harun Logan. Cricketers, I need to sort this thing out as quickly as possible so that the players can play at their level best. Because at the end, at the end of the day, if uh, the um, the staff that is working behind the scenes is not doing their job well, then the players won't perform well. It will it will it will affect their their um, performance as well on the field. I just wish and pray that it's going to be sorted out as quickly as possible. Thanks. My name is Sine. I'm in Mount Elif in the Eastern Cape. Hi, Tabiso. Money here from Mosul Bay. Uh, I'd like to find out from Dr. Harun Logat uh, the possible appointment of Graham Smith as the DOC. Um, 
good a player as he was, does he think that Graham Smith actually possesses the necessary administrative skills to take on such a role? Because there's a variety of, 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 of things that are involved in being a DOC. Does he think that he actually possesses some of those skills? Hi, member. Um, this is Zico Smith all the way from Macau. Member, you know, with all of these up and down shenanigans that are uh, currently going on in the cricket SA, most of our players are going to start to sign those uh, call pack deals. You know, remember, like these players, they have to feed their families, they have to make a living out of cricket. But now, with whatever that is happening, we see uh, some. Uh, players don't get enough contracts and then the tournaments are being re- reduced. It's only a matter of time we start to lose our good players. They're going to be snatched by those uh, teams in England and sign call pack deals if Cricket AC doesn't sort out whatever mess that they find themselves in right now. Thank you. Okay, thanks for those voice notes. Mr. Logat. let's pick it up from the back. Maybe you mentioned that we'd lost a generation of players and the last voice note is worried about us losing more more players. Is that how dire the situation is that it, it actually spills onto the field? Um, without a doubt, I think uh, we all know there's uh, invariably a direct correlation between uh, what happens in the administration uh, or the boardroom and the cricket field. And what's going on currently certainly does not excite our players, does not inspire our players. I mean, right now, we are just weeks. In fact, we should be counting days away from the ter- first test match uh, against England. In fact, I saw over the weekend talk to Plessis talking about it's high time we start preparing for the series. But with all that's going on, the focus is not on the players. The focus is not on team selection. Yeah. The focus is not on the in, uh, on the on the test matches that are imminent, uh, and as a result, uh, we simply will be underprepared. So the point that the, that the caller makes um, about losing players, I mean, I ask you a simple question, Fabiso. Right now, if you had a youngster or your son uh, or your daughter who wanted to play career, uh, cricket as a as a as a playing career. Um, and invariably, these sports people are multi-talented. They can choose cricket, they can choose mm. football, they can perhaps excel at tennis, um, rugby, or whatever other code of sport. Would any parent right now um, encourage their, their children to go in the direction of cricket? Um, mm. I doubt it. So we need to get our act together because we're going to lose uh, a lot of, uh, of fans, a lot of players uh, and supporters from the game. The other question was about uh, the DOC position. Graham Smith, uh, it's, his appointment seems to be imminent, but the caller wanted to know if, with the role being that of an administrator, is Smith still the right man for the job? Well, I, 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 I tend to agree, and I don't think he's got the executive or the senior management skills to administer a department as such. But he certainly has got the credentials, and he proved himself as captain of the national team for a long time. So he's got the potential, no doubt. Uh, but I don't think he would succeed unless he's properly supported. So you'll have to put the admin uh, uh, training programs. You'll have to provide administrative support for him. Uh, you'll have to give him the tools necessary for him to succeed. So while he's got the raw potential, uh, he hasn't got the experience. And that will have to come, unfortunately, on the job. There were also talks today about Gary Kasten acting as an advisor to the interim team director in Okunkwe. Is that, or would you also say that that would be a step in the right direction? 
I think whatever uh, can be done to support uh, Enoch should be done. Um, because let's be honest, um, he did not come with a bag of experience um, and, and, and he was thrust into, into the tour uh, to India. That's not easy. Nor is it easy uh, without that kind of experience to simply go in and challenge England who's just won the World Cup. They're coming out of New Zealand. Uh, having played uh, a test series there. So they in in good shape, in much better state than we are. And whatever we can do to support both the players and the management team around uh, the national coaches, but we should do. And Gary Kirsten's an experienced individual um, with the right uh, framework set up uh, around those people and Gary contributing, not taking over. Um, uh, I think will 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 help us um, in some way. Finally, Mr. Logat, there's been a lot of talk about the silence of the sports minister. Is this something he should get involved in? Are you surprised by his silence, or should he just let cricket people handle this? No, I think uh, it calls for anybody who's got um, an interest in where our cricket is currently to to say something, to act. The minister certainly has got the power. Um, and I think uh, he he uh, he should be looking to assist cricket to come out of this quagmire. Um, I mean, it's a fact that, uh, as I said earlier at the start of my interview, that this uh, crisis that we find ourselves in is a long way uh, greater than the one that uh, was with us in 2011 that triggered uh, the Nicholson inquiry. So I think um, it would be fitting, it would be appropriate, uh, and I'm sure the minister is perhaps uh, uh, mediating or finding out what's happening in the background. He hasn't certainly come out uh, publicly, uh, but I think uh, it's overdue. Uh, because as I said earlier, this board, in my view, has failed. Uh, it's failed in its fiduciary responsibilities. It, it hasn't shown us uh, that it has exercised the necessary uh, due care and skill in the appointment of Morowe, in the in the oversight of Morowe, and certainly in all of the issues that we now face. So I think uh, it would certainly be fitting, in my view, uh, for the minister to, to, to be heard and to do something about where we find ourselves. Okay, we'll take the last voice note. It's just come through now. Good evening, Mr. Loggett. Can, can Mr. Loggett there discuss and tell us as listeners, because we don't know how those tours, this feature tours program, how are they, are they designed? Do they sit down as member countries, uh, you know, the the different unions? Why is that England get more t- test matches than any other country in the world? Why are the big three, England, Australia and England, getting more matches? So the question is how uh, this FTP is designed and the other last question why does south africa don't have a five test match series like the ashes like okay mr logat with your icc cap on and your former cricket sac or cap on are you able to take that one yes so the answer might sound simple but it's one which i can understand the caller and i've uh, tried to battle that one as well uh, the simple answer is that the icc does not have authority uh, to do the fixtures. The fixtures are done bilaterally. In other words, each country, each member country discusses with another country what fixtures they want to play. And you've got to get both countries to agree. So we may well want to play England five matches, but they may refuse to play five matches. So it's a bilateral arrangement, and it's something that is outside of the ICC's control.
Okay, Mr. Logger, thank you very much for uh, joining us and adding your voice here. People have been looking forward to hearing from you. And, uh, well, you didn't mince your words, but that's how it is. It looks like it's a very big picture at the moment for South African cricket. And let's hope that things can only get better from now on. Thank you very much. Thank you, sir. Former CEO of Cricket SA and uh, of the ICC, of course, uh, Mr. Harun Logat. They're also adding his voice to the crisis. We heard from Dr. Ali Baha last week, and we've been hearing from a lot of cricket uh, uh, people who are really concerned by the situation. But we're going to declare now, uh, leave the cricket for a while, and we're going to talk a bit. I don't know if we're going to talk rugby or we're going to talk about drinking a lot of beer, but we'll we'll, we'll discuss that after the break. SAFM Radio and at Tabiso Musia on Twitter. So I mentioned at the top of the show that um, I've been reading a book and it's a really wonderful read. A really, really hilarious book. Uh, you can't put it down and it's uh, Liam Delcamas winging it on tour with the box and uh, he joins us in studio now. Liam, good evening. Thank you for joining us on SAFM. Good to be here. Thank you. How does it feel to be on the other side of the mic? <laughs> it does feel a bit strange. I've have, yeah, I've got these commitments to do interviews, and um, yeah, it's, it's it's a bit weird. So, so I mentioned your bro- your book is a great read. How did the idea come about, and how long did it take uh, to put it together? So, it wasn't so much an idea that I had that I was going to write a book about a life on tour, because essentially that is what it's about. It's about mm-hmm. life on tour, and it basically sort of took form and shape over a couple of years really where I was um, basically railroaded into doing the book. Uh, my partner um, having listened to many tour stories because uh, you come home and you you share these stories and um, or tell her about it and then we'd have people over for supper and you share some more stories and then they basically badgered me into like writing a book about you know life on tour. So it wasn't me putting my hand up saying I want to write a book about all these experiences. Uh, they basically wore me down over a few years, uh, in conjunction with the publisher, of course. Yeah. So so that's how it came about. Um, and in terms of the content, I mean, it's it's I think twenty three years of content, kind of handpicked from those tours. So. Uh, I'm sure there's a lot lot of other stories out there that I didn't tell, but mm. um, it's, it's a, I suppose it's a tricky task. But you didn't tell because you didn't want to get sued. There's that as well. <laughs> uh, there are some stories that are better left um, under the covers. <laughs> like the story in Wells where something was found inside a pocket of a a pool table. But anyway, thank you to you, myself, for making sure that he writes this book. You've got a good partner there, Liam. A really wonderful book, really crazy stories. Um. Is it, I don't know what to say, is it safe to say it's not about rugby, but a book about traveling the world and drinking beer while following the Springboks? Yeah, I wasn't going to do a rugby book per se. Uh, there's been many rugby books, um, especially um, sort of post-isolation and especially post-95 um, World Cup. Mm-hmm. People writing about the Springbok wins, the highs, the lows, the administration, uh, various uh, segments of the game. Uh, I didn't want to write a rugby book like that uh, because, I mean... The, those books are out there already. So the book I looked at was supposed to be a fun book, not one that's controversial. One, in a way, you describe it. It's supposed to be fun, and it's mm. you're supposed to uh, it's supposed to elicit a laugh here and there, a good giggle, um, and you know tell the stories in the best way I remembered. And also, it, 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 
it meant that I also had to go back to people that I had these experiences with just to make sure that I remembered them uh, the way they actually occurred. So, um, yeah, look, it's, 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 been, it's been a long journey, 20-plus um, um, years. Um, yeah. And it's, yeah, I, I just hope that I did, you know, those stories justice because it's not just my stories. It's the folks that I've toured with, whether it's certainly yeah. whether it's the other journos, uh, whether it's players, whether it's administrators, whether it's coaches. Um, but I think mostly, probably when it, when you see the anecdotal stuff there, it's mostly the guys I tour with in terms of my colleagues. Yeah, yeah, I was I was I was gonna get um, into that also. But you seem to remember very well the names of the pubs that you went to all over the world. The way that you remember them, it's like Pub, you went there and you drank water. And the restaurants. That's the thing. You can't just um, go there. You need to immerse yourself in the culture of the the city that you're in. You can't go to Dublin and and for instance just drink water. That'll be <laughs> That would be sacrilege. Um, so, you you know, when you go on a tour, especially a longer one, like the World Cup uh, we've mm. just come back from, uh, but, you know, if you're going to be there for almost 50 days, you better act and behave like a local uh, sooner, sooner rather than later. So um, it's, it's about immersing yourself in, you know, into the uh, the customs, uh, the traditions of, of the place you're visiting and also be respectful of it. Mm. Be mindful of the space that you occupy. Um, I'll use a simple example, like, if you get onto a, a packed commuter train in Tokyo, if you're wearing a backpack, you take the backpack off. Mm. You either put it on your front or you put it at your feet because for obvious reasons you're going to be bumping. If, think of it this way. 50 people wear backpacks in a <laughs> crowded um, carriage. Uh, there's going to be a lot of knocking into people. So, um, you know, you always have to be aware of where you are and what you, what you need to do. So what do you hope people get out of the book or take out of the book? Firstly, a laugh. Uh, okay. a, a good, a good That's laugh. a good one. Um, and then also, I hope that there's enough background, um, you know, not just the normal stuff that you read about um, in newspapers or, or what you hear on radio, mm. but uh, give people a sense of what press conferences are like uh, other than the stuff that you hear and that's the stuff that you read. Um, what are the hotels like? I mean, what are the... You know, often people say that it's glamorous to tour, and in some yeah. ways it's nice. But it's also after a while it can weigh you down. It can yeah. you can have a tour from hell um, for for various reasons. I mean, you could be going swimmingly one day, and the next um, the bottom kind of falls falls out. Um, I think I tell the story where uh, a couple of years ago, where everything's going fine until I get to uh, a train station mm. uh, in Italy, um, where I go to the the ATM to draw money and. Mm. I then realized that only half the the allowance I was supposed to be paid um, was in fact paid. So halfway through the tour, um, no money. <laughs> These things happen. I was going to ask you, how do you describe your job? Is it like a very tough job to follow the box around or a dream job? Or like you said, it's not as glamorous as it looks. Or are you privileged to be Look, in this when you, yeah, when you have those moments when it doesn't seem that glamorous and where obstacles are in your way and the coach doesn't talk to you and the uh, players look at you skiff um, you kind of put that aside because you have a job to do and it's a job that I've always wanted to do I mean I was I think 12, 13 years old when I decided I was going to be a sports writer so um, I always have to pinch myself to say like well you know what you're actually doing what you enjoy you love mm. writing you love sport you like traveling so you know three uh, three things that I really enjoy doing and um, you know uh, when you follow a team like the Springboks and still an iconic brand obviously um, it you have to remind yourself that it's a it's an honor to do it. Um, apart from the fact that you obviously still get or derive immense 
immense pleasure from doing it um, because there is a job to do. That's the, f- the first and foremost. That's the yeah. thing that you have to do first and foremost. Like you can't even enjoy your World Cup final, for instance. You <laughs> you don't look up. You're just typing. <laughs> and file. Yeah, exactly. You don't even look at you know how the, uh, the, 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 the winning captain raises the trophy because there's no time to do that. But um, yeah, so you know when you have those moments where you, you feel a bit low, you always have to remind yourself that it's a, it's a great job. Um, it has its ups and downs, but every job has. There's a part in the book where you break it down nicely, where you break down a tour like week one, week two, week three, week four. Mm. Um, how do you describe it for those listening? Week one, how's week one, how's week two? Okay, so we're talking about the sort of emotional state that you go yeah. through. So if you, for instance, if you go to a country where you haven't toured before, so in that week leading up to the tour and even in that first week while you're on tour, um, you, you have that sense of like there's still a bit of excitement. Um, you were happy to, to, to be in this new destination. You explore a little bit. Um, by week two, you kind of fall into a proper rhythm work-wise, uh, how you meet deadlines, because obviously you're working in different time zones mm-hmm. and you need to find out what works best for you and your, your company in terms of deadlines. Um, so you find the rhythm in the second week. By week three, you feel sort of part of the furniture. In other words, you feel part of the country that you're in. Mm. Um, and then you, yeah, you start feeling like a local by week four, you yeah you feel like well uh, you part of that country now. It's like you know what's home kind of thing. Um, <laughs> you kind of impervious to criticism after a while because you've written by then so much um, that you you know you you basically on autopilot. Um, and then of of course you get to a point where you start missing home. But then it's also depending on the length of the tour, mm. you also get rid of that very quickly because that can really I've I've seen grown men. Um, down in the dumps on tour where you see them at breakfast and they stay into their bowl of cereal and they just don't want to be there. <laughs> For those who've just joined us, we're speaking to Liam Delcam about his book, Winging It, uh, on tour with the box there. He basically speaks about his 23 years or so uh, touring with the Springboks. He was also at the recent uh, 2019 Rugby World Cup um, in Japan. And as he mentioned earlier on, by the way, the lines are open 891 if you want to weigh in or find out how it is to tour with the box or you can WhatsApp us on 061 104107 and our SMS line is 41391. You, you have a whole chapter about basically being a black rugby journalist, and there's some interesting stories there. Like in Argentina, when a group of school people wanted to take <laughs> pigs, is it true that they had never really seen black people before? Well, we didn't specifically ask them that story, <laughs> that question, but what had happened was we were in a remote part um, of. We basically were in Mendoza, which is uh-huh. on the, the western fringe of Argentina. It's basically at the foothills of the of the Andes. And we took a, a sort of a half-day trip into the Andes. And we got to uh, this, I don't want to call it a derelict building, but it's a, it's a building that had been constructed in the 1930s by the government, mm. basically as a sort of an Andes getaway for, for government officials. So back in the day, it was a, it was a real swanky sort of hideout for them. Uh, it's it's no longer in use, but uh, you know tourists still go there, and you can go buy a sandwich or a coffee or whatever. So we stopped there, and uh, no sooner did we stop, and there were two buses that pulled up, and in one bus there was this group of um, school school kids, um, uh, high school kids, and the bulk of them were, were young girls, and they would follow us around and like kind of pointed us kind of thing in a weird way and eventually one of our colleagues um called us outside and he said uh these girls want to take a picture with you 
And we were like, well, why would they want to do that? But anyway, so then they they got the two black writers sort of together and then like two girls would stand next to us and then, you know, one of their friends would take a picture. And that finished and then two more arrived and then two more arrived and it just felt awkward after a while because why would they do this? <laughs> so eventually I pulled the plug on it. I said, no, we can't do this. Let's just do a one big group picture because yeah. there will probably 60 of them. So we, we took the pic and then um, as we walked back to our transport, the our tour guide um, was laughing a fair bit and we asked him, like, what was that about? He said, no, um, he recognized from their accent that they from northern Argentina, from uh, I think he said Corrientes, mm. which is northern Argentina. And there's a very good chance they haven't seen black people before. Wow. Wow. I had to read that twice. That was a quite an interesting <laughs> story. And then there was also the story of a certain Vatangobeni in New Zealand. I think it was 2011 mm. um, when he was um, well, basically accused of being a drug dealer. But I, I didn't realize how big the story was in New Zealand. And I think you detail it in the, in, in, in the book that it was mm. actually big news that side. Oh, absolutely. Uh, I mean, some of us were caught unawares because... Also because of the time difference. So you had this yeah. weird situation where uh, this happened late night. Uh, by the following morning, uh, news broke in New Zealand already, which then means in the terms of the South African news cycle, um, you know, once South Africans wake up, they're going to have the news firsthand. The problem for blokes who wrote for newspapers in South Africa was that you would probably, if you wrote about it, you're probably only going to be writing almost two days after the fact. In other words... Mm. When people pick up the paper that you record, you know, report the story on, it's almost two days after the, the actual thing happened. So um, it was out of the blue. It was in a, um, in a little resort town uh, called Taupo, which is also yeah. where they have the big lake on the, the North Island. And, um, yeah, a most unfortunate situation where he got arrested, uh, got walled off to the, uh, the charge office. And um, only there did the policeman ask him, um, what, is, what are you doing in New Zealand? And then he said, I'm a journalist. I'm covering the Rugby World Cup. And it's only then that the penny dropped for the cop because he realized, oops, um, this, <laughs> this, story, is the journalist. this story ain't going to stay here. <laughs> and um, yeah, the apology started then. <laughs> and Vatan Gobeni joins us on the line. Vata, a good evening. Thank you for joining us. <laughs> evening, evening to Liam and to the listeners. Do you still have the freedom of Taupo? <laughs> I don't want to tell you the evening to give it to me on a form of platter. I don't want to. I don't want to. I can have the freedom to this from New Zealand, but not Taupo. <laughs> But uh, you make quite a few appearances in the book. Um, a, 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 actually, <laughs> how, in your own words, do you describe touring with Liam? <laughs> and did you know you he'd be in the book? You know, um, I, I came on a little bit later, um, after, way after Liam had been on the rap scene. And, uh, I'm not that old. <laughs> I, I, I found him in Sim, Sim Miguel Calanis, and um, me as a little oak, uh, Still quite fairly young, and uh, they took me on. They became my older brothers, and as the years rolled on, we became actually very, very good friends. And I remember on, 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 on some of these tours, and you know, you know me fairly well, and you know, I'm, I'm not the smallest guy around, but I mean, wow. um, Liam and I were liking to good food and so on. So Liam would take me to, you know, would take me to a five-star restaurant, um, but then. Uh, the day later, we would be, you know, eating food of the of, of side of the street. Um, so we were a bit of foodies, so we enjoyed that uh, together. But more than anything, I think, just taking in the cultures and and 
and the different cities we've been to. So, you know, touring with Liam has been uh, fantastic. I've learned a lot uh, myself, but more than anything, it's it's uh, it's how Liam, you know, gets you to to immerse yourself within whichever place you go you go to, and 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 more than just the rugby, the, the memories of of what you do and what you eat and. You know, all, all the happenings around are what lingers on long after that the draft game, whether it's uh, it's memorable for good or, or bad. Um, it's 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 being part of that particular place that that stands out more than anything. That's actually very true because mm. you don't. Um, people will say before to a, uh, they don't look forward to the tour because it's a weak Springbok team. They're going to lose four of the five tests or whatever. And I said, like, you don't define th- your tour by that. You have a job to do. So mm-hmm. you do your job first and foremost. And then there's the country you're going to go to. You enjoy the yeah. country. Mm-hmm. So the results are secondary. I mean, whether the box win or lose, it should make no difference in the way you experience the, the place you're going to. Vata, are you happy that somebody has finally put these experiences, uh, their experiences and yours in a book? <laughs> so people I'm can know what a tough <laughs> job you guys have? I'm happy that people know what really goes on the tour. Um, but also at the same time, I think, uh, as you said, there's a lot of those stories that my experience as well. And I think a guy like Owen Kumani and Nigio will tell you that. <laughs> um, we, we didn't find some stuff funny uh, when it happened. But I, I mean, again, it's, uh, you know, people need to know what, what happens on tour. Uh, not everything, but I mean, what really happens on tour. It's, it's, a, it's an experience of a lifetime. Um, it's an experience, first of all, traveling with the Springboks. And getting to interact with these guys that uh, the people deem as demigods, but I think at the same time, it's also an experience being able to to, to meet different people and an experience of cultures that it's it's not that easy for South Africans to leave the country and, and go away. And we're privileged enough to have jobs that that give us those opportunities. So, you know, Liam, you know, for me, there could be no better person than Liam to actually tell the stories. It's a fantastic, it's fantastic with words. And even better st- storyteller, but you know he, he, his memory is so sharp. Um, yeah. and, and Liam can can really you know uh, put the fun into a story. So okay, we're gonna have to just leave it there for a while. Take a quick break and come back with more. Tabiso Musiya on SAFM. So Liam, you you also seem to have made some some mates overseas through your coverage of rugby. I'm sure those are some special friendships for you. Oh, absolutely. Um, certainly in France, a couple in Argentina. Um, yeah, that, that rugby is just like that. I mean, it's it's about fraternity. It's about it's about forging friendships. Um, if you've played rugby, you you know um, you know it's not just about the teammates and the, the friendships you 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 build there, but it's also about the opposition. So, um, and in this case, obviously, in terms of touring for a traveling journalist, you talking about journalists from that country so mm. um, yeah made some good mates Cardiff, France Argentina from from me seem to be some of your favorite destinations um, I don't know um, is that correct or which ones are, are your favorite destinations as a as a rugby venue Cardiff is almost second to none apart from New Zealand because mm-hmm. there's a there's a there's a level of obsession in in Wales um, that is very dark to find elsewhere Um only in New Zealand, I think that's it's a rival. Like if you go to Christchurch, they uh-huh. are obviously as obsessed. Um, so from a, a sheer rugby point of view, um, Cardiff would be right up there. And also they they not scared of a pint. I mean, they <laughs> the first time I toured, I toured um, uh, Wales, they still had the eleven o'clock curfew. So everybody the uh-huh. bars shut at eleven, which meant that by quarter past ten or 
between say nine and quarter past uh, ten, people would drink as if there's no tomorrow because they wanted to get smashed, which then meant by half past ten, uh, people start fighting over taxis. <laughs> you, you, they literally spilt out into the street uh, with their drinks, and it, it was messy. Uh, well, thankfully, that, that culture has, um, has stopped. Uh, the, I was going to say they're a little bit more refined now, but I mean, that's in inverted commas. But um, yeah, so, you know, um, Wales for, you know, it's, it's a proper rugby destination. And of course, then New Zealand also, from, from, sheer, from a sheer rugby point of view, uh, from the moment you arrive there, uh, the the guy who stamps your passport, the, mm. the first thing he'll say, oh, well, we'll ask you, can he seize your passport? Um, he'll say to you, do you have a chance on Saturday, mate? Because we don't think you do. <laughs> and so they kind of set the tone as you arrive. And yeah. Um, and then France, for very different reasons. Uh, it's a wonderful country to tour. Yeah. Um, the landscape, the food, the people. Of, of course, in Paris, I mean, it's... Uh, when I say the people, they again, inverted commas, because, mm. you know, Parisians can... Um, yeah, look the other way. <laughs> I couldn't believe Jeff Molloy uh, got a mention in your book. That's <laughs> mistaken, my role model. That's my role model right else. there. <laughs> now, who would have been mistaken for Jeff Molloy in Australia? Um, and how do they know Jeff Molloy in that's Australia? That's the thing. That's the thing. I mean, I looked at this guy and I was like, wow, this, you obviously have spent a lot of time in South Africa to, to, to know Jeff. So, so Owen and Kumani and I, uh, the former player and super sport commentator, we were walking down the street when this guy... Um, walked up to us and mistakenly thought that Owen was was Jeff Malloy. That's a crazy story. And we've got another person that makes um, an appearance in the book. Kanyuso Twaku still doesn't look old enough to drink, but he joins us on the line. Kanyuso, good evening. <laughs> good evening, Kanyuso. Good evening, Liam. Good evening. I hope you've read the book because they write about you. <laughs> Well, I, there's, a, there's a very funny incident I encountered on, the, on a flight from from Perth to Auckland. Yeah, well, uh, <laughs> I don't know. I, I don't even know. I don't even know where to start. I don't even know where to start. I'm, I'm sure you still get that today. But I want to get your thoughts just on traveling with Liam because I said to him before the show that I didn't realize he was this funny. I mean, the book is hilarious. How's it traveling with him? Look, I mean, Liam is a look. People need to say that Liam is a veteran rugby writer. He's travel. He's traveled. I don't want to use world. that word, but you so use he's it. got stories, uh, stories for days. And some of the stories before he actually wrote the book, um, he shared with me, and I found it to be very funny. I said, that must go in. That must go in. That must go in. But yeah, I think I think of South Africa's rugby writers at the moment. I think he would have been the most perfect person to write the book because he's he's got so many stories. He's got so many anecdotes. I mean. Uh, if, if, if you sit and you work with them on a daily basis and you listen to the touring anecdotes, you you you, you kind of get a picture of how fun touring was. I mean, when I went to New Zealand in twenty in, in twenty seventeen, it didn't say what it was like. You just go there and find out and experience it. And Auckland happened to be one of my my so far my most pleasant rugby experiences, except for being told that I'm a sixteen year old while flying to work. <laughs> and except fifty seven zip. <laughs> yes. Liam, <laughs> 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 yes, <laughs> on that note, as we wrap up, I mean, which which group of Freemboks would you say was the best to tour with and why? Because you've done quite a few World Cups. Oh, uh, look, it's changed. It's changed a lot because when I started touring, uh, we just came out of uh, the amateur era. So mm -hmm. from 1996 onwards, it, it, it's just a coincidence, actually, that my first tour was in 96 when it was the first uh -huh. year. It was the advent of, of professionalism. So uh, the, the folks who, who toured then um, are very different to the breed we have now, 
where at the moment when you know when Springboks or when national teams go abroad, the environment they find themselves in most of the time is quite sterile and it's um it's sort of manicured. So your interactions with the players are very limited and it, it almost only happens in press conferences mm-hmm. or if there's specific one on one interviews that have been set up. Um yeah and then you bump into a lobby of a hotel with, with a player or in a lift. But um, you don't see them late night, um, you know, venturing the streets of whether it's Cardiff, Marseille, Paris or Buenos Aires. Um, that that doesn't happen anymore. So our interactions are fairly limited. Um, in terms of enjoying a tour from a, a work perspective, I'd, apart from the result of this last World Cup, mm-hmm. it was actually quite a pleasure to um, deal with a Springbok management that was more transparent, a little bit more open. Um, we had a number of sort of uh, offline, if I can call it that, get-togethers mm. where we just sat and spoke at a beer. Um, they spoke about their um, their frustrations. We spoke about ours, and you know the environment and the, the we we operated in was was a lot better than, than I had experienced before. It's it's almost the complete opposite of what I experienced at the 2003 World Cup in Australia. Where Rudolf Strolli was the coach, it was just after Kampstaldraat and <laughs> yeah. all other kinds of dramas, um, and I mean he saw ghosts and spooks around every corner, and it's it's just about this last tour was just about the opposite of that. So the you know the box winning the World Cup obviously was the cherry on yeah. the top, but um, it was it was a very enjoyable tour from a work perspective. Well, get the book to read more about Rudolf Strauli. Gobani Bobo also makes an appearance a few times. I didn't know he was such a character. Even Jean de Villiers is also there in the in the book there. And there's so much. Even the former captain, Connie Kriger, who we spoke to a couple of weeks on the show, and the one and only Peter de Villiers. Without giving too much away, that's what you can expect in Liam's book, Winging It. Liam, uh, well done on this. It's such a great read, and I think we really appreciate it. And I think you've written it for all of us here. Thank you very much. Thanks for having me. Thanks, Liam, for joining us in studio. As Kanyiso said, veteran sports writer. I don't want to use that word because it makes him look old, but it's really a wonderful uh, a book to read. So.